So, uh, Professor Tom Solomon, thank you so much for joining me today. You're Director of the National Institute for Health Research, Health Protection Research Unit in Emerging and Zoonotic Infections. You're the head of the Brain Infections Group. You're a Professor of Neurological Science. You're an honorary consultant neurologist at Walden Centre NHS Foundation Trust, and you're at Royal Liverpool University Hospital. I mean, I don't know how you find the time, but um, I'm really glad that you've you found the time to, to join me today to chat about your, your rapid review. So, um, in this review, you, know, you summarise the emerging evidence on, on neurological complications of COVID-19, which obviously, you know, is still very much emerging evidence. We're still very early into this. Tell us a little bit about these kind of neurological complications. What, what are some of the most common ones? Thanks. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I, perhaps I'll go back a tiny bit and just, just give the reason for why we wanted to do this review. So, um, you know, I, over the months, this outbreak was building up. And you're right, I'm director of the Health Protection Research Unit in Emerging and Zoonotic Infection. So we've been involved in a lot of these big outbreaks, not particularly from a neurological perspective, but Ebola, Zika, of course, there was a lot of interest in the neuro stuff there. And then when COVID-19 started happening at the end of December, beginning of January, my focus actually, being the head of that unit, was, was, was really not from a neuro perspective at all, but was just about... Um, you know, this respiratory disease, which was looking like it was going to become a pandemic. But someone in the team said, should we not start thinking about the neuro complications? Uh, we did, the last pandemic was influenza 2008. And although it didn't cause a lot of disease, it did cause neurological problems. And we had a, a paper on that. And so um, we got started in looking at the neurological problems of, of associated with COVID-19. But what struck us in the literature was that clearly there were case reports, there were case series, there was quite a lot with no um, in the pre-peer review literature. And um, uh, so we decided to put all this together, partly to draw attention to how we think people should be approaching these kind of, of patients. And so what, what are we seeing? What is everybody seeing? Well, certainly there seems to be an increase in strokes. Uh, there seems to be an increase in delirium when patients are first admitted to hospital. Those are the common problems. And then I would say the other problems are rarer but important neurological manifestations like encephalitis, inflammation and swelling of the brain. And then there's also these issues around other psychiatric manifestations. Um, but one of, the, one of the challenges was and, and is uh, that um, people are using different words to mean different things. And so one of the things we emphasise in our paper is the need for standardised case definitions, and we actually publish them uh, as an appendix to the, to the article so that people can start describing patients in the same kind of way. And, and, and a lot of the literature up to that point was uh, basically pretty poorly defined. People were calling it a disease X, Y, or Z without really explaining why. They weren't very consistent or thorough in terms of the diagnostics showing that people had COVID-19. Where was the infection? what had been done to rule out other infections, et cetera, et cetera. So as much as anything else, that's what we were trying to do was to set a framework for people to look at patients like this. So what do we know from previous coronaviruses? What, what kind of information can we get from those? Well, as, as you know, there are six previous coronaviruses that in, have infected humans and four of them just cause coughs and colds and, and are, are not really responsible for severe disease except in a, a, a very unfortunate small number of people. Um, but the important uh, coronaviruses before this one were SARS and MERS, both coronaviruses. Uh, and both of these 
cause respiratory problems, but they've also both been associated with neurological disease as well. So I think those viruses gave us some pointers uh, that you know we, we should expect neurological problems with with SARS-CoV-2. Mm. But in, for neither of those was was um, stroke a particular problem, and and so that has come a little bit out of left field. Uh, does this tell us anything about the kind of underlying mechanisms? I, th- I think it does. I mean, we're really only scratching the surface of the underlying mechanisms, but broadly speaking, these viruses, any virus, can cause brain problems directly or indirectly, and, and the direct problems are when the virus gets into the nervous system and causes encephalitis. Uh, and then also there can be inflammation. So encephalitis is virus damage, but it's also the immune response, the inflammatory response. And then some viruses will cause inflammation without even actually going into the nervous system, these parainfectious problems. And then the third type of problem are the systemic problems that we've been seeing, so vasculopathies, uh, um, coagulopathies. And, and that seems to be underlying the, the strokes that we've been seeing. So what does this mean uh, for in terms of diagnosis? Well, in terms of diagnosing these neurological conditions, we have to be really careful. This, um, we, we, we look at it in two ways. Firstly, what's the evidence that this patient is infected with SARS-CoV-2 and where are they infected? So is it just that there's a, a swab from the throat that shows this virus there? Have we detected virus in the spinal fluid? And that obviously implies a greater causal link, but that's much rarer. Is it actually that the virus is not detected at all now because it's cleared and this is somebody who just has antibody evidence of infection? Um, because they had their viral infection a few weeks ago and now they're presenting with their stroke. And then, of course, that has a whole different level of complexity because it may just be that their viral infection a few weeks ago was a coincidental thing. So, um, you know, th- this is challenging. That, that's viral diagnostic side. What's the evidence that this person is infected or has been infected with SARS-CoV-2? And then you have to say, right, and what is the neurological disease syndrome or disease diagnosis? And people tend to jumble all of that up into one great big mess. And you'll see people saying, here's a patient with uh, SARS-CoV-2 detected and they've come in with weakness. So we're going to call it SARS encephalitis. But to call it encephalitis, you need to have evidence of inflammation and swelling in the brain. Um, To call it a stroke, you, you need strong clinical suspicion of a stroke. And again, imaging evidence if you can get it. So we really encourage people to think of things what's the evidence for virus infection and then what's the neurological syndrome and, and are they related absolutely so um what, what are some of the uh, most promising like early therapeutic approaches well um we don't really have anything proven yet for any of the neurological problems but people are treating stroke following SARS-CoV-2 as they would treat any other strokes and they're certainly doesn't seem to be anything wrong with those approaches you know it's being treated as a stroke and so all the usual measures have been used whether you know whether that should be nuanced whether there should be differences is not clear yet um, I think the other big question is around if you see a patient with SARS COVID-2 infection or COVID-19 uh, what can we be doing should we be doing things to try and prevent the subsequent stroke they may have or, or other so uh, other vascular disease, they're also getting other thromboembolic disease. So there's big questions around that that are unanswered. In terms of the inflammatory brain diseases, 
typically we would consider using corticosteroids in those patients. Um, but of course, now they're all getting corticosteroids because of the study which shows that dexamethasone is helpful for SARS, well, for COVID-19 overall. So that therefore makes it difficult to see whether what, what it's doing particularly for the neurological problems. What are the limitations when thinking about the link between neurological problems and COVID-19? Well, the, the, if you detect virus in spinal fluid, that's usually pretty good evidence that the virus has got into the central nervous system. And then if there is an associated new acute neurological problem, in the past, traditionally, we've taken that as, as, as you know, evidence of causality, if you like. Uh, but because a lot of the problems we're seeing with COVID-19 are not at the time of the acute infection, but they're afterwards, that, that makes it really challenging. Uh, in your opinion, what are the kind of most urgent research things that we need to think about uh, for, for COVID-19-related neurological complications? Well, to, to answer those questions that we've just been talking about, how, how do you show causality? Uh, you know, how can you show that your stroke patients who've had recent COVID-19, that, that the virus is actually triggering the stroke as opposed to it being a coincidence? And the way to answer those kind of questions is with case control studies. And um, we are, we've just got funding recently for a large case control study of uh, COVID neurology in the uh, overseas centres we work we have a big program called Brain Infections Global which we've been running for a few years and is a collaboration with colleagues in Brazil and India and Malawi so we're, we're um, going to be doing a case control study or we've started a case control study through those centres so I think that's one of the ways to, to, to address some of the really important questions um, I think we need to understand disease mechanisms better of some of the other problems encephalitis etc to see what treatments might be needed there well, so finally, then, there's a commentary linked to your review which talks about the, the increased risk for, for COVID-19-associated strokes, and especially worryingly as well in young patients. So uh, just finally, then, maybe we could sum up by talking a little bit about the, the kind of potential underlying mechanisms in these younger patients. In, in the article that we published in The Lancet Neurology, in the appendix, we, we had a, a lovely figure which talks about the disease mechanisms of all the COVID neurology, but in particular the um, the, the strokes, and it seems there's a, a range of possible disease mechanisms. Coagulopathy is one, where the blood if effectively gets sticky. There's some evidence that virus may be getting into the endothelial cells of the vessels and causing disruption there. Um, there's also evidence of a thrombotic microangiopathy, and, and some patients seem to have vasculitis. So it looks like there's a whole range of potential disease mechanisms in, in COVID-19 stroke. And there's quite a lot of work now to try and understand which of those are the most important and which might be amenable to treatment. Well, there's a lot still to find out, but it, um, it really is a, a fascinating link. And it's been really interesting uh, talking about it with you today. So, Professor Thomas Solomon, thank you very much. Thank you.